That was not fair to the speaker, Letha. <laughs> Sitting over there, I'm in the zone, I'm getting in the zone. They sing that, mop me up off the floor. I am honored to be here this morning. I honestly believe that we all grow up multiple times in our lives, and I grew up the first time here at Spring Branch. Um, I have to tell you, this community and its specific approach to life and faith and church formed me tremendously from a young age. And even now, as I seek to fulfill God's call in my life, I believe this is where I first learned to listen with eager hope that there was a place for me, not just to be a bystander, but to be a participant. This is also the place where Travis and I often play brother and sister in many a Spring Branch drama of the 90s. <laughs> Formational stuff. Um, I have to confess that Michael has asked me multiple times to come and speak on Mother's Day, and for years I've given excuses. I'm pregnant. I'm still pregnant. I look like I'm pregnant. I feel like I'm pregnant. Motherhood is high highs and it's low lows. And that pendulum swings at a shockingly, shockingly swift rate. The other night, I was laying down with my sweet three-year-old. She grabs my cheeks and she looks me in the eyes and she whispers, Mommy, I love you so much. You are my favorite person in this family. <laughs> what felt like moments later, the family's favorite person was in the baby's room, in her rocking chair, rocking the baby as she continuously threw up on me. Travis comes in disgusted. You're just sitting there letting her throw up on you? I don't even open my eyes. Yes, because then I get to take a shower and not wash more sheets. This is the wisdom that I have for you, my friends. Good day, and God bless you. I actually have many parenting questions, as many of my parenting peers do. I have very few answers. We lose sleep over many, many vital tensions, such as are we advocating for our children, or are we hovering? Do they need structure and predictability, or do they need to be free range? Should they be outside more? But which organic bug repellent is best to be used? If juice boxes are unhealthy and water bottles are unsafe and all of our children are completely dehydrated, what are we to do? I also only have daughters, so I have internalized that mothering future women, I will healthfully celebrate both my strengths and my weaknesses. So I explain many things to my girls by saying, I do this so that one day you too will have permission to be your authentic self. They look at me and say, we have no idea what you're talking about. We just wish that you could French braid like the other moms. <laughs> if you are puzzled by the angst that I'm expressing, that means that you are one from a generation that lived through a world war and possibly an economic depression, or anyone who mothered before the internet. The internet is a magical, helpful place where all the other moms live and where we can find out at any moment what mothering is like all day long for people in Nairobi. But seriously, Mother's Day can feel like a tricky business. I actually call it the Happy Mother's Day I'm Sorry trend. There is an article online that I read before speaking today that actually taught you how to pre-grieve before Mother's Day so that you could enjoy the day. There's a lot of charged emotion brought to a day like today. Not unlike birthdays, with each Mother's Day we mark time, and so often many of us realize that we're still waiting. If 
I'm honest, I put off teaching here because I'm waiting to get better at this whole motherhood thing, or maybe just less worse. There are things that we're all waiting for, and today reminds us of that. We're waiting to heal our relationships with our mothers. We're waiting to celebrate memories and not just grieve losses. We're waiting for our kids to grow past a tough stage. We're waiting for our kids to go back to a cuter stage. We're waiting to accept that some things are not a stage. We're waiting for our kids to leave. We're waiting for them to come home. We're waiting to become mothers. We're waiting to accept that we won't be mothers. We're waiting to accept how motherhood has changed our path and our lives forever. Waiting is part of the human condition. It's not just mothers, it's not just women. And this morning I want to ask you, everyone, what are you waiting for? Interestingly, one of the most famous stories in the Bible about a mother is about a woman waiting. The first two chapters of the book of 1 Samuel tell us the story of Hannah and her husband Elkanah. Let's look at it together. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zotham of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tahu, son of Zuth, and a Paphrite. Okay. That verse right there is why many people give up on the Bible. So I'm going to ask you to stick with me. As soon as I said Ramatham Zothan, which sounds like a scary ph pharmaceutical, some of you are like, you know, I'm done. Let's get to brunch. But hang with me, because it's going to matter. I'm going to bring it back. Okay, let's keep going. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of other Penna. And Penna had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Happy Mother's Day. I'm sorry. I talk about the other moms living on the internet. I'm not going to even speak to what it would be like to have the other moms living in your marriage. Let's keep reading. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. That was a lot of scripture. Let's review. 
Hannah did not have a child. She was sad and shamed by her husband's other wife, who in this culture, he probably took that wife because Hannah had not given him any children. Hannah went yearly to the temple and prayed. And on this one instant, she lost it. And she wept bitterly and made a vow to God that if he were to give her a child, she would then give the child back to his service. The priest sees her weeping and praying and thinks she's drunk. When she explains herself, he prays for her. She goes home, and she and her husband conceive a child. She names him Samuel, meaning I ask the Lord for him. When the boy turns three, she brings him to the temple as promised and gives him into the service of the priest. Hannah's story, at first glance, is about someone who waited for something and then got it. So those of you who are still waiting for something are halfway out the door right now. Great story, I'm happy for her, and maybe a little resentful. But that's not the end. Hannah goes on to sing a song, and through this song, and then reflecting on the story we just read, three lessons emerge. Three lessons from Hannah. The first one is, we can wait well. We can wait well. The second lesson, God's faithfulness is the answer to our waiting. And the third, our worship is the response to God's faithfulness. Hannah shows us how to wait well. How? Well, the first way is when the verses say, Hannah weeps bitterly. Hannah honestly expresses her need before God. 1 Samuel 1.10 reads, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Hold on. Doesn't it say that she prayed prettily and wept graciously? Or she cried, but she managed to keep it positive. Or she was deeply in distress and weeping, but she still had a smile. No, it doesn't say that. The Bible's an honest book with honest descriptions of the human experience. She wept bitterly before God. Hannah demonstrates honesty in her waiting. When was the last time you were completely honest before God? The second thing that Hannah teaches us about waiting well is that she trustfully persists. She goes boldly before the Lord, risking even that the way she asks could be judged inappropriate. Remember, the priest thought she was drunk, because of the scene she was making. She boldly prays and she boldly claims hope that God would remember her, that his promise of faithfulness was for her as well. And the third way she teaches us to wait well is Hannah sings a community song. The song that Hannah sings in 1 Samuel 2 was a song that would have been sung by the Israelites as a community. In our world of individualism, it's hard to understand these cultures in which the individual prosperity was almost completely enmeshed with the nation, the tribe, the community. Hannah's gifting of a son was a victory for the whole community. Hannah's lack of a son was a grievance for the whole community. Hannah's good fortune was the good fortune of Israel, and the song actually serves as the foreshadowing of the coming king. Her song is reflected by another mother you may have heard of. Her name is Mary. This was a community song. How is our faithfulness tied to our communities? How does it flow from our communities and get practiced in communities? What community songs are we teaching our children? Travis and I live in Williamsburg, and we live right by the College of William and Mary, which is where we attended college um, not too short time ago. a lot of our neighbors, which is wonderful, are college students because this is wonderful because you're not competing for the best-looking lawn when you live by college students. Like, we're doing okay. Um, We are doing okay, and we feel like we are the helpful neighbors. We're we're just doing okay because we're doing better than the 18-year-olds. 
A lot of our neighbors are students, like I said, and I tend to have college students in and out of my door. They're great playmates for your children. They have lots of time and flexibility. Um, a lot of times they're asking questions about faith and about life. And I like to think that they come to me because I come off as wise, but I know it's really just because I don't dress trendy and I am no longer a threat to them. So many students reach a point of crisis of faith in college. Um, this is a point where faith becomes their own. It's not their parents, it's not their home churches, it's not anybody else's. And it's good, but it's painful and it's confusing. And so often what I find they ask me is that when they are filled with doubt and even anger, should they bother to keep showing up to church? And my answer is always the same. Yes, keep showing up. And then they say, but what if I just can't even stand up and practice what they're practicing in the service? I say, don't. Let the community stand for you. Well, what if I, I can't even sing? Don't. Let the community sing for you. And then finally, what if I can't even believe? Let the community believe for you. Our culture has distilled community into a group of people who like to watch the same things on Netflix. It's so much more. Community is intended to strengthen and carry us. When we discover we are weak, community is there to be strong for us. It doesn't wait for our best face or to have it together. Hannah sang a community song. Her faithfulness is the overflow of a greater body. Is yours? Do you not have the lyrics to sing or the words to pray as you hope? You let your community sing for you. The second big lesson that we learn from Hannah is that God's faithfulness answers our waiting. We have watered down what we think of as God's faithfulness to kind of that friend who, when we're in crisis, pats you on the arm and says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And you really wish that you could turn to them and say, you know what I could use? Some groceries, <laughs> some takeout, and they're just, they're here for you. And that's sadly how so many of us think of God and his faithfulness, when God's faithfulness is not that. God's faithfulness is much more like my mother when I've had a baby who moves into my kitchen. Get out of the way, stuff is getting done, people will be fed. God's faithfulness shows us that God intrudes, God intervenes, and God inverts. God intrudes. Let's go back to our favorite first verse of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 1.1. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zotham, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, son of Elihu, son of Tahu, son of Zuth, and a Pathrite. What these verses are doing is they're giving us a genealogy of Hannah's husband, Elkanah. They're building a case. They're letting us know that he is impressive. This is how they do it. You need to know that he's impressive because he comes from these impressive people. First, he's a man. So in that culture, he's already winning. Then he's a man with an impressive family line. Hannah is not a man. Hannah is a woman who has not had a child. For every bit that Elkanah is a somebody, Hannah is a nobody. And God has surprised her by intruding into the life of a nobody. To understand the thinking of this time, we have to remember that 1 Samuel, this book, finds us at the beginning of the Hebrew faith still understanding itself as monotheistic, one God meaning that they're still interacting with cultures all around them that worship many gods. And these ex gods exist in a hierarchy. The powerful gods took care of the powerful people and the state. The lesser gods 
took responsibility for the lesser people. So what Hannah has realized and what she sings about in this song is that in any hierarchy, she is at the bottom. Yet this all-powerful, true and living God who she has come to know has taken notice and remembers her. He has gone where he isn't supposed to be. He's intruded into her life and her circumstances, into the life of a nobody, a shamed and outcast woman. He and his great faithfulness intrudes. The next picture of God's faithfulness that emerges is that God intervenes. The first verse of Hannah's song reads, 1 Samuel 2.1, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. In verse one, when Hannah talks about her horn, she's referring to a symbol of strength. She's been elevated. This nobody that she is has not only been seen by God, but she's been elevated from low status to high. God has the willingness to intervene and the power to transform with his salvation. Not only can he, but he will. Not only will he, but he can. His faithfulness, not only is he here for us, but he's able to do a lot. Finally, we learn that because of God's great and astonishing faithfulness, he inverts, God inverts. Listen to this excerpt from Hannah's song, verses verses seven and eight of 1 Samuel 2. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Do you hear the inversions there? God's faithfulness has turned it into opposite day. Not only does he intrude where no one else will, intervene and shake things up, but those intrusions and interventions result in the toppling of social situations that before seemed immovable. Listen to this from one of my favorite biblical writers, Walter Brueggemann. Hannah's song becomes a source of deep and dangerous hope in the world wherever the prospect and possibility of human arrangements have been exhausted, when people can no longer believe the promises of the rulers of this age, when the gifts of well-being are no longer given through established channels, this song voices an alternative to which the desperate faithful cling. Here is a woman who is a nobody. God is intruded he has intervened, and now he's transforming. He's taking her low status, and he's elevating her. God takes social standings and stigmas and brandings, and he flips them over. He demonstrates his faithfulness by intruding into situations that we so often assume are beneath him, intervening in ways that are powerful and transformational, and then inverting even the most hopeless positions. God's faithfulness is not passive. It is astonishing. And it is the answer to what we're waiting for. Finally, the third lesson that we learn from Hannah is that our response to faithfulness is worship. The author of 1 Samuel was intentional. Verses 1 through 19 
talk about Hannah waiting for the birth of a child. There's then one verse about his birth. Hannah's song is beautiful, but it doesn't mention the gift of the child. Hannah's song is only about the giver. You see, the problem of this story is set up in the narration. What's the problem? Hannah had no children, and she was waiting for one. She was scorned, she was shamed, she was put out. But we can't misunderstand what the author is telling us the resolution to the problem was. The way the Hebrew writer shapes this birth narrative, the birth was not the resolution. The resolution is the song. The resolution is Hannah's worship. In fact, the entire story is framed in her worship habits, in her journeys to the temple. I think there's an interesting reasoning if we read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. This is talking about Hannah after she has brought the three-year-old Samuel back to the priest Eli as promised and talking about her yearly visits to her son and the little robe that she would make for him while she was away from him and bring to him. Hannah had other children after Samuel. It was part of her blessing for her faithfulness. But this one verse grabs me in a vulnerable place this morning. This mother recognizing the faithfulness of the giver gave back her son to the Lord. She gave him back. She let him go. And the vision of this faithful mother sewing a robe for her little son, beginning when he's just a preschooler, each year, trying to estimate his growth, each year sowing her hopes and no doubt her tears into this one very tangible item. <laughs> Motherhood is highs and it's lows, and sometimes the emotions are so much that we overfocus on the tangibles, right? Are you cold? Are you hungry? Get another blanket. Have something to eat. Put on some sunscreen. Drink some water. All the largest moments of our lives are dressed in tiny tangibles of ordinary things. My kids' shoes, the ones they actually wear, when they're finally in bed and I'm picking them up for the last time, can make me tear up. And if you have ever packed away clothes that will no longer fit, or passed by clothes that your life's path does not need you to buy, there's a truth in this image that we cannot overlook this morning. I'm gonna read it again. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. The resolution of the story was not the gift, but Hannah's worship. Because, my friends, the waiting does not stop. And Hannah's faithfulness teaches us that we can worship even while we wait. The story is framed in the ritual of the family's journey to the temple. We know nothing about their home life, about the hometown, the laundry room, her crafts, her pure bar habits. We know that worship structured their lives, and she worshiped while she wept, and then she worshiped while she waited. And when she visited her tiny, growing son yearly, she was there to worship. And when she went home without him, she was left with a picture of him and the aftermath of worship. It wasn't until the last few years that I've truly begun to grasp the book of Psalms and learn that a large percentage of those songs are songs of lament. 
Put simply, they're complaints and cries from a people who are hurting and a people who are waiting. Eugene Peterson actually says something along the lines of, God gives us permission to cry out. In fact, he actually provides the words to do it. And that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a book of worship, but a lot of that worship is with weeping and with waiting. Worship isn't the packaged, happy, sanitized, finished business of people who have everything they want or have trained themselves to not want what they don't have. Worship is honestly coming into the presence of God with the depths of who we honestly are in the regular rhythms of our lives, believing that he will meet us in our waiting and in our wanting. Yesterday I attended a baby shower of a very dear friend of mine. Um, If you're not familiar with baby showers, this is an ancient American ritual of watching a new mother open gifts of the latest baby gear guaranteed to make her path easy. And as she carefully unwraps the elite fish oil-infused, solar-powered, PBA-free, quinoa-filled baby washcloths, the generations of mothers gathered around ooh and awe. But one-third of them is secretly thinking, I raised perfectly fine children without that. (laughs) One-third of them thinks, if I had that, could I have slept more? And the other third of them is actually asleep because they've been offered up time to sit down. It struck me as we prayed over Erin, as we encouraged her and we lifted her up, that we use a particular word for a woman waiting for a baby to be born. We don't say that she's waiting. We say that she's expecting. Expecting is waiting with hope. It is waiting transformed by God's faithfulness. Hannah teaches us that we can wait well with honesty before him, with persistence, with songs, with support from our community. Hannah teaches us about God's astonishing, astonishing faithfulness, that he intrudes, that he intervenes, that he inverts. And Hannah teaches us that we respond to his faithfulness with worship, that we can worship while our hearts break, that we can worship while we wait, that our waiting can become expectation, which is waiting with hope. What are you waiting for? God is faithful, intrusively and astonishingly so. Worship him while you wait. Happy Mother's Day. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today as we are. We come to you with our wants and our waits, with our joys and with our sadnesses. We come to you and ask you to meet us with your faithfulness. We ask you to meet us with your comfort and with your joy. We ask that today in a day of celebration, we will celebrate you. We will celebrate the gifts in our lives. We will remember the giver. And we will celebrate you and how you have met us and will continue to meet us. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for the way you nurture, care, and give us life so that we can in turn nurture and care and give life to others. In your name we pray. Amen.